Good morning. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Let us stop judging one another. Instead, decide not to put anything in the way of a brother or sister. Don't put anything in their way that would make them trip and fall. I am absolutely sure that nothing is unclean in itself. The Lord Jesus has convinced me of this. But someone may consider a thing to be unclean. If they do, it is unclean for them. Your brother or sister may be upset by what you eat. If they are, you are no longer acting as though you love them. So don't destroy them by what you eat. Remember that Christ died for them. So suppose you know something is good. Then don't let it be spoken of as if it were evil. God's kingdom is not about eating or drinking. It is about doing what is right and having peace and joy. All this comes through the Holy Spirit. Those who serve Christ in this way are pleasing to God. They are pleasing to, to people. They are pleasing to people too. So let us do all we can to live in peace, and let us work hard to build up one another. Don't destroy the work of God because of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong to eat anything that might cause problems for someone else's faith. Don't eat meat if it causes your brother or sister to sin. Don't drink wine or do anything else that will make them sin. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the person who doesn't feel guilty for what they do. But whoever has doubts about what they eat is guilty if they eat. That's because their eating is not based on faith. Everything that is not based on, based on faith is sin. What Grayson just read for us here was a major issue for the church in Rome. They had a big debate about how much of the law of Moses they really had to keep. So, for example, a big part of the law of Moses, those first five books of the Old Testament, were a number of rules about what you could or couldn't eat as one of God's covenant people. Now, these were rules that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, had never followed before. So there was a question that they have to start following those rules now that they were Christians, now that they were following Jesus. And the answer was actually no. And God had made that clear in a lot of ways. Now, you might not know this, but even when something's really clear, sometimes people have a hard time changing it. And that was certainly true for some of Jesus's Jewish followers. They still felt like they couldn't eat those things. They spent their whole life avoiding and that was fine. They didn't have to abandon their heritage to be a faithful follower of Jesus. As long as they didn't think that not eating those foods is what saved them. Because it's Jesus that saved them. But also as long as they didn't force on the Gentiles having to avoid those foods. Even as long as they didn't think less of the Gentiles for eating those foods, to pass that sort of judgment on one another. Now, that never happens today, right? We don't ever try to tell other believers that they have to do exactly as we think they should do. 
we never ever think less of brothers and sisters in Christ because they live out their faith in a slightly different way. We certainly never demand our own way. We never divide over opinions, disagree, stop talking to one another. Of course we do. It's been a long time since followers of Jesus have argued over food, but people still argue. People still judge. People still pursue what we want over what builds up everyone. And that has to stop if we want hope to be produced in our lives. Because if it doesn't, church just becomes somewhere we go. Faith is something that we think. And fellow Christians remain acquaintances. And all of that is disposable. We can just quit if we get tired or busy or scared. All of that is replaceable. We can just leave if we get mad or disagree or things don't go the way we want them to. We can live without. Because when that's our point of reference, our lives honestly aren't that much different than what they would have been otherwise if we had no relationship with Jesus at all. Church just becomes one more thing that we do. Yet all of that is so much less than what God wants for us. Because God wants from us, God wants for us more than just attendance and compliance and pleasantries exchanged. As we see in the next chapter of Romans, God is in fact the God of hope. And that is what he wants, and not in a wishy-washy sort of way that we often use it. Where we'll say, well, I hope this happens, but God is the source of real, confident hope. The kind of hope that totally changes our outlook on things, that totally changes how we feel about things, that even changes our relationships with one another in the world around us. It's the kind of hope that says all of that matters, that all of it, even the tough stuff, is leading somewhere, that none of it is going to be wasted. It's true hope that things will change, that they will get better, and that what we do day by day in service to King Jesus is part of how it's going to get better. That is what God wants for us. God wants us to abound in hope. But for that to happen, we have to do some things differently. Because we can't just live for our wants. Quite the opposite, in fact. In Romans chapter 15, starting with the first verse, Paul continues this train of thought, saying, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance 
And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. You hear, as the Apostle Paul is inspired to teach us, that if you have assembled this morning as a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, you have an obligation. Specifically, you are obligated not to please yourself. Especially if you're strong. If you're strong in faith. If you're strong in the word. If you're strong enough to serve as a leader or teacher, if you have assembled this morning with a lifetime of service to the Lord under your belt, you don't get to play the that offends me card. Because that card is for the weak. That card is for the brother or sister who is so shaky in their faith, in their commitment, in their knowledge, that something that doesn't matter could cause them to let go of Jesus. If you're strong, you are called, you are obligated to bear with their failings. To try to please them, but not just keep them happy. Because sometimes we do that. We try to placate the spiritually weak folks, which just makes them stay weak. They never actually grow that way. No, we seek to please him for his good, to build him up. Paul says, instead of viewing our tensions as something where we win or lose, we want to try to help that brother or sister become stronger. And for good reason. That's what Jesus did. He's king. And he didn't focus on pleasing himself. In fact, he took our reproaches onto himself. So if we are going to live with hope, this is where we have to start. First, we have to realize, and once we realize, we have to constantly remind ourselves, it's not about 
you. Whether we're talking about coming together like we are right now on Sunday, or whether we're talking about helping someone else that's in need, or whether we're talking about sharing our faith, it's not about meeting your needs. Though God is good enough that as you are faithful to him, he most certainly will. It's not about simply fulfilling your requirements, though there are certainly things that God expects from each of us. No, it's not about you because it's actually about Jesus. Everything we do is about doing what he wants. Everything we do should be about becoming more like him. And if we're becoming more like him, he cared for us. He put our needs ahead of his own, even though it always meant choosing the way of humility and submission, even though it very often meant choosing the way of pain and sacrifice. Jesus emptied himself out to serve God and to save us. And that is key. We have no hope no real lasting hope unless we have first completely focused ourselves on Jesus. And that's just not normally how we think. Which is why we have to get into Scripture. As verse 4 of Romans 15 said, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Did you know that? Romans 15 inspired 2,000 years ago. Psalm 69, which Romans 15 quoted, inspired another 1,000 years before that. It's all about Jesus. And that means because you are his follower, you are a part of his body, it is for you. It is for us. And I get that the Bible can be difficult to understand. That's why we have so many Bible studies. That's why you can come tonight at 6, or Wednesday night at 6.30, or on Zoom on Wednesday night at 6.30, or Thursday night to Lewis's office, or you can come with the ladies on one Monday a month. We have that because we need to be in God's Word. That's why we have so many different translations and tools so that if you open up the Bible and you have a hard time reading it, you can find a translation that's easier for you to read. If you're a more visual person, you can pull up videos like the Bible Project. You can get a podcast to listen to. There are so many ways for us to get in Scripture. We do have to work at it, but we learn through the effort. And because we were made in God's image, the Bible blesses us when we're getting into it because that's where we discover who he is and who we're supposed to be. The only way we can live a life of hope is if we're letting God define for us what is good and evil. We need to let our designer be the one who teaches us the best way to operate, and the Bible shows us that. And what it shows us is so different than what people normally do. We discover that too. Because even millennia after this was written, we look at it and see people are still people. The Bible is full of people who struggle just like all of us do. 
We see temptation and failure that is so familiar. We see sin and the consequences of it. But we also see opportunity. Scripture shows us how unlikely people can change when they seek God, when they're taught and led by him. From beginning to end, the Bible shows us how flawed, struggling people like us can receive God's mercy. How even though we fail, God still calls to us. God still uses us. God still keeps his promises. Most of all, we see that. And how through those people, he sent us Jesus. Because when scripture shows us Jesus, we see what the image of God looks like. We see mercy and love in action. We see Jesus pour himself out for us as he died on the cross. We see how God raised him just like he promised. We see how that changed everything. And we see how through endurance, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what the Bible is for. It's what the whole Bible is about. It's 66 books written across 1,500 years, but it tells one grand story of how God, who loves us, sent his son to give us hope. And the passages that the Apostle Paul quotes in verses 8 through 12 of Romans 15 to make the point specifically come from 2 Samuel 22 and 50, from Deuteronomy 32 and 43, from Psalm 117 and verse 1, from Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10. That means that the things that he quotes, it comes from the law, it comes from the prophets, it comes from the writing, it literally comes from all across the Bible. And the whole Bible points to Jesus. And if God was able to do that, if God was able to do it through them with all of their failures and all of their shortcomings, then it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what's going on in this world around you. God has got this. You get to be encouraged. You can have hope if you get into the scriptures. Will you? Be honest. How much will you be in God's word this week? Are you already planning to be in any of those Bible studies? Do you already have time set aside for personal, private, or family devotions? Is any of your commute going to be spent listening to any podcasts? Your hope is directly proportional to your time in Scripture. My aim is to give all of us some hope right now. But this is 30 minutes out of 10,080 minutes you're going to live this week. That's less than 1%. That's less than half of 1%. That's a little, teeny, tiny sliver of hope. But you need more. You need more scripture. 
and you need to make it personal. That same God of endurance and encouragement that you read about, he is your God. He sent Jesus Christ to have mercy on you. Praise God, because you were, maybe you still are a mess. But God still wants you. He wants to help you. He can clean you up. He can get things in order. He can make them better. He wants to work with you. He wants to work through you. That Jesus that you read about, that you believe in, he rules right now. He is that root of Jesse, that descendant of David, who reigns over Gentiles like us. And he deserves your praise. Because you shouldn't be here. The background that you came from, the sins that you committed, the health issues that you've been through, you should not be sitting here right now, but you are. Praise God. You are here right now. And if he has forgiven you of so much already, if he has brought us so far from where we were, if he's healed our diseases or comforted our pains or mended our relationships, or change us like he has over these past few months or over these past few years. What will he do with the next few? How far can he take us if he's brought us here now already? Don't you see? We have hope. And it's not a distant or dim hope. It's not a little teeny tiny sliver of hope. On this Sunday morning, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, in this assembly, this beautiful tapestry of diverse humanity that God has woven together by his mercy, we have great, incredible, living hope that changes everything about our lives. And that is what God wants for us. Because as Paul concludes in Romans 15 and verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We serve the God of hope. He is its true source. And because we were specially made in his image and likeness, he wants for us, we are meant to be filled by his hope. Filled with a confident, expectant hope that gives us joy and peace. Not because everything in our lives are going great, but because he is great. And because we believe, we believe that he is real. We believe that he loves us and sent his son for us, that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again. 
We believe that when we gave him our loyalty, we put our faith in him as Lord. We were united in his death, burial, and resurrection. When we repent of our sins and were baptized in his name, that we receive his mercy. We receive his spirit as a gift to help completely change us from that point forward. We believe that we can change whoever we were before, however things have been, by the power of his Holy Spirit, it will get better. Because that is what God has done all throughout Scripture. It's what he has done all throughout our lives. And he will do it. Not he might do it. Not he'll do it a little. In him, we get to abound in hope. Are you? This Sunday morning, are you abounding in hope? You can. If you're already a Christian, if you've already repented and been baptized, you should be. God wants you to be. If you'll just stop arguing over silly things. And remember, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. If you'll get yourself into Scripture, if you'll make that Scripture personal, then you can abound in hope. That's what God can do if you'll believe. 